Welcome back to the Word on Fire show. I'm Brandon Vaught, the host and the content director here at Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Joining us is the founder and head of Word on Fire, Bishop Robert Barron. Bishop Barron, good to always talk with you. Hey, Brandon. You know, someday I'll, I'll actually get to that room where you are. <laughs> this is your, your office. I've never actually been there. This I just is see in it middle. This is in deep in the caverns yeah. of Middle Earth. So <laughs> you're somewhere near in Rohan huh, with the writers <laughs> of Rohan. But and the books above your head there. Someday I'd like to see all that in person. Listen, this past weekend you did another one of your big study programs. You've done several of these over mm-hmm. the years. One on uh, David the King. One on mm-hmm. the mystery of God. Um, several yeah. of them on different topics, but. The priest, one, prophet, king. Priest, prophet, king. The one mm-hmm. you just recorded, though, was on the sacraments. Uh, we just recorded it last week, and it'll be available sometime next year. But tell us about the filming, how it went. What'd you think? What a joy it was. We went down to a great church in uh, Hollywood called Blessed Sacrament, appropriately. But one of the most beautiful churches in L.A., and it fits about 1,500 people. So we got a big crowd, filled the place. And I gave six talks um, on the sacraments, each one about 25, 30 minutes long. You know, Brandon, over the years, we've asked uh, parishes, if we were to do a study program, what would you like us to do? What would be most helpful to you? Far and away, the the most requested was the seven sacraments. So that's why we did it. And it was just a joy. Uh, Great crowd, great enthusiasm. We work with uh, Spirit Juice, as I often have, my production team there from Chicago. And uh, they did a great job and there was enthusiasm. I must say they are almost uniquely exhausting those experiences, you know, when you're coming out in front of this big crowd and it's not just giving a talk, which you know, okay, I'll give this talk and it'll be over, but it's a talk kind of for the ages because it's being filmed. So you feel a special kind of pressure. Uh, When I finished, boy, I was just ready to go to bed basically, you know, but uh, it was a great day. So stay tuned to Word on Fire. We'll update you with all the progress about this new film series, but it should come out sometime in, in 2020, I would think. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, for today's topic, we're going to be discussing how to discern the spirits and and more generally, how to discern the things of God, how to know how and and where God's moving in your life, how to make decisions in alignment with God's will. Um, I I wanted to start off with this little precursor story. So a few days ago on my Facebook page, I posted a message where I acknowledged that lots of people have been asking me which... Catholic websites and podcasts and YouTube channels should I follow? They say it's it's mm-hmm. really confusing. There's a huge landscape yeah. of so many personalities. How do I know which ones are worth following? And I said, well, what I typically tell people is, you know, first of all, the prerequisites of truth and being faithful to the magisterium, all that basic stuff. But then mm-hmm. beyond that, you need to discern whether this is of the spirit of God. And I I laid out a couple ways to do that. One is using the fruits of the spirit. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when I, right. When I listen to this video channel, for example, does it engender love, joy, peace, patience, kindness? Do, does that person or host exhibit those things, all that stuff. But then the second one, which was seemed to be more controversial is I quoted a line from St. Ignatius's spiritual exercises, his great, uh, spiritual manual. And the line real briefly, it said, mm-hmm. it is characteristic of the evil spirit to harass with anxiety, to afflict with sadness, mm-hmm. and to raise obstacles backed by fallacious reasonings that disturb the soul. And so my point was that if you're experiencing these things, it could be a sign that this stuff, this platform, this channel, this podcast is of a different spirit than the Holy Spirit. So I thought that was pretty innocuous, but what I was stunned by in the comment box that followed it was 
the number of people who concluded after reading all this, so you're basically saying just follow your feelings. And like, if, if it makes you happy, it's a good thing. If it makes you anxious or sad, it's a bad thing. And we went back and forth many times, several commenters, hmm. but it seems like uh, this area is, is fuzzy for a lot of people between discerning spirits and following feelings. And I, I know both of us want to point out right from the beginning, we're not pitting these two things against each other, like mm-hmm. feelings and like other sources of discernment. Feelings aren't opposed to the movements yeah. of the spirit. But I thought for this episode, we could dig deep into all of this stuff and, and make all the proper distinction. So maybe let's start out 30,000 foot view. St. Ignatius of Loyola, spiritual exercises. What are the basics we should know about these? Well, of course, I just filmed on Ignatius last summer, and so I'm, I've got those places vividly in mind, uh, where he was from, and Manresa, the, the cave where he developed really this um, this method of discerning the spirits. Ignatius, born in 1491 in the Basque country, northwest Spain, uh, wants to be a courtier and a soldier and kind of a worldly figure, uh, is wounded severely in a battle in Pamplona. He's fighting for the against the French. And during his recuperation, he undergoes this uh, massive, call it not so much conversion, but reversion, a reawakening of his faith, which leads him eventually to this cave in Manresa, which I had the privilege of visiting. While he lived there for nine months, he grew in his ability, I'd say, to understand what God wanted him to do with his life. It was the beginning of this uh, process of the discernment of spirits. It gives rise eventually to the spiritual exercises, which Ignatius works on the rest of his life and becomes the cornerstone of Jesuit spirituality to this day. You know where a lot of it begins, and maybe it's good for us to begin here too, is Ignatius himself said when he was recovering from his wounds, he wanted books to distract him. And uh, in the house, there were two types of books. There were books of um, kind of chivalric daring do, you know, books about knights and so on. That's what, what he wanted. That was his life. He read them and read them with pleasure. But afterwards, he said he, he found himself kind of dry and, and bored and listless. But the other books that were there were books about uh, Christ and the saints. And he read those, he said, also with great interest. But the difference was later, as he mused on those stories, those books, he continued to be filled with a sense of, of peace and joy and purpose. And he says in his autobiography, that was the beginning of this art and practice of the discernment of spirits. And that's, by the way, one of the most important indicators. And it's one that I I work with a lot. Look, anything you're doing, any time of the day or night, is going to fill you with some sense of of pleasure. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing it, right? So, So... Whatever's right in front of you, typically something that you're saying, oh, I I like this. This is good. But then how do you feel about it later? (laughs) So later on, as you think back on that activity or that statement or that bit of behavior and you say, oh, gosh, I, I, I wish I hadn't done that. Or now I feel so kind of disappointed with myself and listless and so on. Other things you do. And you, you enjoy them while you're doing them. And then you think back later and say, yeah, that, that was great. I, I'm, I'm glad I did that. I, I still feel lifted up by that. It might be a year later you think back and say, yeah, I, I still feel uplifted by that. 
that in a way is the first rule, the first experience of discernment that Ignatius himself had. And I've recommended it for years to people is, you know, a lot of people, for example, will experience uh, an attraction to the priesthood or religious life at some point. Most, most Catholics do, at least they did years ago. All right. When you're experiencing that, you're probably feeling, hey, this is kind of cool. I feel good about this. But how about, you know, a year later? <laughs> how about even six months later, when you think back on that period, are you still filled with a sense of peace and joy? Or you feel like, nah, nah, that's kind of silly or nah, that, that doesn't do much for me. So that's one of the ways. That's that's how it began with Ignatius. And I think that's still a valid approach. But just to finish your answer to your question, um, having done the Manresa experience, having begun the spiritual exercises, having directed many people for years, Ignatius develops a number of these famous rules for the discernment of spirits. You know, a basic assumption, still an important one, is we are all engaged in something like a spiritual warfare, right? That there's the good spirit, the Holy Spirit, but as the Bible itself points out, not all spirits are good spirits. Not all the things that lead us or inspire us or, or draw us are good. And so we have to do this act of discernment. Uh, is that of the Holy Spirit or is that from a not so Holy Spirit? And that is a permanently important uh, uh, feature of the Christian life. And Ignatius and other of the great masters help us through that thicket. When I was sort of just getting into my faith as an early Christian, I think the way that I approached God's will was it was sort of a binary thing that I either heard and followed or I didn't, and it was quiet. And so I was always like just trying to hear God's voice. What does God want me to do? What is God leading me? But it wasn't for several years that, and I, when I discovered Ignatius's approach to this whole thing that I realized there are actually multiple impulses and voices and spirits and promptings going yeah. on that require you to sift through them. It's not like there's just one that you either hear or don't hear. You kind of got to sift through all these impulses in your life. Yeah. And think of, you know, in the, in the Gospel of John, when we have the great image of the Good Shepherd and, and the Good Shepherd hears the voices of the sheep and the sheep hear his voice. And it's always struck me as a very interesting image because think of all the voices, Brandon, that are around us all the time. You know, voices, literal voices, people, hey, do this, do that. Uh, more metaphorical voices, things that are leading us and so on, trying to get our attention. Can we hear amidst all of that, the voice, the voice, the voice of Christ, who is calling us to follow him? And uh, it takes some discernment. That's a, a aural kind of image. It's an ear image, right? Hearing. Well, think of someone who's got a very low level uh, musical ability and then someone at a very refined level. They say that some of those great conductors, you know, they're conducting this big, you know, 80 piece orchestra and there's one violinist whose who's one string is out of tune and, oh, you know, your, your uh, you know, B string or whatever is out of tune. Well, that's someone with a hyper refined sense of hearing, right? Well, the great masters, Ignatius comes to mind. Are people like that? They have such a hyper refined sense of listening. They can hear the voice of the Lord amidst all the cacophony of competing voices. 
So St. Ignatius composes these spiritual exercises, and it's often said they're not so much meant to be read. It's not like a manual. Yeah. It's something you you do or experience, usually in the form of a retreat. Uh, yeah. I think all Jesuits, correct me if I'm wrong, Bishop, are required to go through this 30-day spiritual exercise retreat. Have you, have you ever gone on one of those retreats? Have you done not, one of them? Not 30 days, but I've done the eight-day retreat a number of times. And the eight-day is kind of a, it's a mini version of the 30-day. You, you go through the rhythm that Ignatius wanted. Uh, so I've, I've had a lot of experience with it, but I, I'll confess, I'm a little afraid of the 30-day retreat. <laughs> it's such a commitment of, not just of time, but it's a great spiritual commitment to do that. But I've done the eight-day several times. In these spiritual exercises, it, there's several components. You're reflecting on the life of Christ. There's several different types of prayer experiences, but there's one section that's relevant to our show topic here where Ignatius lists out 14 rules for spiritual discernment. And they're, they're real short and pithy. You can read all of them in like two or three minutes. But again, they're meant to be experienced and discussed with a spiritual director. It's not like you just read yeah. them and you got them. Um, yeah. But these 14 rules, the first two of them, I think are, are among the most interesting little passages of, in any spiritual book I've read, because what Ignatius describes is that the discernment of spirits operates differently yeah. depending on where you are in the spiritual life. So if, for example, he said, you're kind of just beginning to be drawn to God, but there's still mortal sin or serious sins blocking your life, the experiences that you encounter should be approached differently than if you're further on in your spiritual life and you're already committed to following the will of God. In fact, he says um, in, in the first case, when you're just sort of still stuck in mortal sin, the evil spirits will make sin appealing and good and you'll feel good feelings mm -hmm. when you are participating in sinful behavior. While on the other hand, good behavior might sting and bite and feel difficult. It, it, you feel like you're, you're moving against the grain in a way. But then in that second scenario where you have a person who's already moving on through purification from sin, um, it's just the opposite. The, the evil spirit saddens you and puts obstacles in your way and makes you feel like you're stuck in the spiritual life. You're not moving. You might experience what he calls desolation. While on the other hand, the good spirit often consoles you. And especially mm -hmm. when you're doing the good, it, it, it inspires good feelings in you. Uh, what, what do you make of that? I mean, have you sensed that with people you've worked with in spiritual direction? Oh, yeah. And, you know, that's an old principle. It goes back to Aristotle, but Thomas repeats it. You know, quid, quid, recipitur, secundum, modum, recipientus, recipitur. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say that exact same thing. <laughs> Which is, it's a very cool line. It means whatever is received is received according to the mode of the recipient. So that's an ancient principle way before, you know, Kant and company and modernity. Whatever is received is received according to your mode. And so how is the grace of God received? Now, read Flannery O'Connor if you want some of the, you know, graphic details there. The grace of God might be received as a terrible upheaval of your life. It might be received as an invasion. It might be something overwhelmingly painful because you're off kilter. And so God's grace is trying to set you right and then turn it around. You know, if you are walking the right path, how is God's grace going to be received? Well, it's like a oasis, like a, a fountain of life, you know. Here, let me depart just for a minute from Ignatius for another great Spanish uh, mystic of that same period. It's interesting to me how Spain, 16th century, comes to the height of its political and cultural influence, right? But also the height of its spiritual power. Think of Ignatius, John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, all flourishing in the same country at the same time, you know? Well, I'm thinking of John of the Cross, and I've often used this with, with folks. John says, um, 
at the beginning of the relationship with God, God often gives a lot of what Ignatius would call consolations. In other words, you're just starting off on the journey. And so you're excited about it. And going to mass is is cool. And and praying the office is, I love this. And, And you read the lives of the saints and you're filled with excitement about it. Good. That's the way John of the Cross says it often begins in the spiritual life. God wants to draw you in, right? But at a decisive moment, and it shouldn't depress you, it should actually kind of excite you. At a decisive moment, John of the Cross says, God will withdraw those uh, kind of happy consolations. Now, why? Because you're meant not to fall in love with good feelings about God. You're meant to fall in love with God. And there is a difference, right? There there might be happy feelings accompanying the experience of God. Great. I'm totally in favor of that when it happens. But I'm not meant to fall in love with those because the trouble is then I can get addicted to the good feelings. And when the will of God is leading me in a direction that will not produce good feelings, then I'm going to fall away. So John of the Cross says, sometimes don't experience that as, as, oh gosh, God has abandoned me. No, on the contrary, it's God is trying to move you to a deeper place. And everyone in the spiritual order, John would use language of of dryness or dark night, et cetera. Everyone is drawn through a, a time like that, you know? I think of like Brandon, go back to when I was a kid and and the discovery of St. Thomas Aquinas, which I've talked about a million times, probably boring everybody with it by now. But talk about an extraordinary moment of consolation. Uh, The excitement I felt as a kid, as I was, this world opened up to me and I was exploring it. Or I think of when I read um, The Seven Story Mountain as a 16 year old. And I can still remember what that felt like, the, the, the excitement of it. It was exciting to read the story and then to begin to imagine myself walking this spiritual path uh, was, was wonderful. It was a great joy. Now, did that stay with me in that same sense all my life? No, not in the same sense. You know, that, that falls away because now God is drawing you into, all right, here's what it really is like to follow my will, what I'm going to be asking of you, you know? Uh, so for John of the Cross, that's a certain detachment from the feelings that accompany. For both John of the Cross and Ignatius and all the great figures, what's the bottom line? What is awakening in us a deeper love for God and for neighbor? There's your criterion. And that's behind Galatians 5. That's behind everything else. Is And that's, that's finally how Ignatius defines a consolation, by the way. It's not in terms of emotions, primarily. A consolation is what is going to lead you to a deeper commitment to the love of God and love of neighbor. When that's happening, trust it. Trust it. You're on the right path. Now, turn it around. What's a a, a desolation? Not primarily feelings of aridity. A desolation is something that's moving you away from the love of God and the love of neighbor. When you're on that path, and look, we're all sinners. We all get on that path. Get off of it. <laughs> you know, that's the path you should be aware of, you be wary of. But that's the ultimate. If people are looking for the ultimate criterion, that's it. That's it. What awakens love in you? What awakens greater love? That's the path God wants you on. I mentioned at the outset this confusion between spiritual <laughs> consolation and desolation and feelings. Um, yeah. that a lot of people just reduce the former to the latter. 
yeah. how do how do how do feelings fit into this whole thing? I I know like colloquially we've been using the language of you know I feel this or I feel that yeah. or you feel God doing this, uh, but how do how do feelings relate to all this? They're part of it. You know, God made us body and soul. Uh, he gave us minds. He gave us bodies. He gave us passions. He gave us feelings. Good. So they can become vehicles of His presence and His communication. As you suggest correctly, don't reduce it to that as though I'm just kind of reading it at the purely emotional level. At the same time, don't reject it or denigrate it. God can indeed speak through our feelings. Those feelings I had as a kid, reading Thomas Aquinas and Thomas Merton, those feelings of kind of excitement, um, a desire to go back to those books and, and read again. And, and you know, I think of myself on my, my little 10-speed bike uh, riding up to the library this is now, I know for people under 40, library, what's that? Bike? Uh, it's, library? Yeah, bike. <laughs> library is a big uh, building where there are books in it. What's a book? And I'd go there, <laughs> yeah, what's a book? It's this thing with pages, symbols. and So uh, writing, and I remember I, distinctly, I was, I'm what, 14, 15 years old, and I'm writing with a kid's enthusiasm to the library to get this big tome of Thomas Aquinas. And I'd bring it home with, with tremendous excitement to read. Well, I don't want for a second to denigrate that or say, oh, you know, how childish and how. No, no. I think God, God was speaking to me through those exciting feelings because he finally, what did it do? Finally, it awakened me, I, I hope, to a deeper and more abiding love for God and for neighbor. And because finally, if you want to trace it all the way, those feelings, those bike trips to the library, led me to where I am right now. They led me to a life of, of dedication to the church and to Christ and to God and his people. So I think God, sure, can and does speak through our feelings, but just don't reduce it. Always be attentive to the whole of your experience. But finally, how is love, the divine love, speaking to you through all this? It reminds me when you've often spoken about John Henry Newman's illative sense that yeah. this illative sense of coming to know something is not based merely on logic or merely on feelings, but it's the converging synthesis of all of these factors is dis yeah. spiritual discernment kind of of a similar thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, so a question priests get asked a lot is, you know, how come you became a priest? And most of us don't like that question. And here's why, because it's practically impossible to give, oh, here's why. Let me just explain it to you. And I say to married people who ask that question, like if I say, how come you married Kathleen? And just left it like, how come you married her? Well, I mean, of course, you're going to give me a whole conjuries of reasons, a whole slew of experiences. And, you know, so same with the priesthood is how can we become a priest? Well, there's this and there's that, and there's this and there's that, and that experience, and this person and that book and that feeling and that. And so the discerning person is, and that's where Newman, you're right, is a good example. You're, you're assessing all of these converging arguments, all sort of tending in the same direction. And that's very much, I'd say, what happened to me as I was discerning the priesthood. They, all these strands kind of came together. Um, but it takes time. Which is why, I'm mean, heck, I was a seminary uh, formator and rector for a long time. Um, you don't want someone showing up, hey, Father, I I'm ready. I've discerned. I'm ready to go. Ordain me tomorrow. No, no. We're going to slow down and we're going to really take time to, to piece this thing together. Uh, but I, Newman's a good comparison there. 
Well, let's close with a maybe a practical application of this whole discerning of spirits. I know a lot of people, when they get into the spiritual exercises or the discernment of spirits, they have a specific decision or event yeah. that they're trying to figure out. Should I become a priest or get married? Should I, you know, I, the example I used earlier, should I follow this group or this video channel or not? Um, c- can you give us maybe an example from your own life of how you've applied this discernment of spirits? Well, I mean, the, the best example is discerning my own vocation. And I would say, I've just been describing it kind of generically, but I would say, finally, it was the application of the criterion of love. Uh, what did I think was the path of greatest love for me? And that's priesthood. I'll say this too, and I think this is true for married people, anyone that's discerned a vocation. There was something about the desire for the priesthood that would not let me go. And trust me, I won't go into details, but there were times in the process when I, I did turn away from it. I thought, no, no, that, that's not what I want. That's not good. Um, and it came back. And when it came back, it was accompanied by consolations, to use Ignatian terms. It was accompanied by deep consolation, like, yeah, that, that's it. And then, then I would move along and maybe turn away again. It would come back with deep consolation. Uh, once I got to the seminary, I can say this was pretty with good confidence. Uh, it, I was on the beam. Once I was in the seminary, that was it. And that's 30, how many years ago when I was first starting the seminary. And um, it's, it's never left me. I've, I've always felt that sense of deep consolation around it. Um, you know, I don't know if I told, I think I might've told the story in other podcasts, but he, that's kind of a grand one you're discerning your whole path of life. But I remember, uh, years ago, it was a Sunday and I'd given a homily in this parish, right? Which I prepared for that week and I gave it and I thought it was okay. It wasn't a home run, but it was a solid single kind of homily. And then I was driving a half hour North to another church where I had mass and fully intending to give the same homily, right? And I got there a little bit early, so I parked just a bit away from the church, and I was just sort of musing and praying. And it's just with this extraordinary sense of clarity, and I'd say spiritual joy and excitement. What came to me was, don't give that sermon. Give the one from six years ago. See, when you've done the, you've been a priest for a long time, you know, the readings come around in a cycle. So you say, oh yeah, six years ago, I did a whole different homily on this one. It came to me, don't do the one you planned. Do this one. Okay. And, and all I can say, it was accompanied by a deep spiritual joy and excitement. So I did. I gave the other homily. Now, what I like about it is that no one came to me afterwards and said, oh, Father, that was the life-changing homily. I, I don't know. I don't know why the Holy Spirit gave me that inspiration. But I'm pretty convinced that he did, you know? Um, that was a sort of on-the-spot discernment. And, and I'll, I'll stay with that little phrase, um, deep joy and spiritual excitement is something that I've learned to recognize as the mark of the Holy Spirit. You know, another example, Brandon, go back to March of this year when it was first suggested to me by a, a mutual friend of ours uh, that I should write this book that became the letter to a suffering church. It was nowhere on my radar screen. I wasn't thinking about it at all. The minute he made the suggestion to me, I thought, yeah, yeah, that's the book I should write. 
I was filled with, I'd say, a sense of joy and spiritual excitement about it. And I've learned to recognize that as the mark of the Holy Spirit. Ignatius, by the way, calls that consolation without cause, beautifully. Like a, a consolation that it comes out of nowhere. <laughs> you know, what caused that? I, I don't know. But but I just have this feeling of, of excitement and spiritual joy. That's one of the signs of the Holy Spirit. Now, we've obviously barely scratched the surface. Yeah, we've talked right. about this for maybe 20, 25 minutes. People go on 30-day retreats unpacking right. all this. But if viewers want more, there's a really good book called The Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide for Everyday Living by Father Timothy Gallagher. Tim Gallagher, yeah. He's done yeah. a lot of great work uh, popularizing the Ignatian spirituality mm -hmm. for ordinary people. So if you want to dig deeper into this discernment of spirits, that's, I think, the go-to book. Yeah, he's good. Well, if you've been following Word on Fire over the past month, you have been hearing a lot about St. John Henry Newman, who was just canonized a couple weeks ago. We've got footage from the canonization, Bishop Barron's lecture at Oxford, a Q&A about Newman. Uh, but as we wind down the month of October here, I wanted to mention this website we created. It's wordonfire.institute slash Newman. You'll not only find all the videos of the things I just mentioned, but for the next three days until October 31st, the end of the month, we've made the John Henry Newman episode from our Pivotal yeah. Player series free, free till the end of October. So if you haven't seen that yet, you want to go and watch it now before it expires at the end of October. After that, the only way you'll be able to watch it is through our Word on Fire digital platform or by joining the Word on Fire Institute. Uh, one final shout out to one of our great Word on Fire patrons, uh, Kale Robert Watches, I believe. Uh, tell me if I got your name right there, Kale. Uh, he's from Newton, Kansas. Kale, thanks so much for supporting our show. If you want to join Kale, please visit wordonfireshow.com slash patron. Become a supporter of this show. Well, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week on the Word on Fire show. Thank you.